0: All right. If it is your first or second time here, we preach through sermon series at Journey Church. Uh, in, during Christmas, starting in December, we're doing a sermon series called All I Want for Christmas. I thought it was fitting. But right now we're, we're ending, or we're in the fifth of a six-week series called Overwhelmed. Where we've been talking uh, with you and to ourselves just about feelings of being overwhelmed. And so uh, last week I talked to you about fear uh, there's a lot of things we're afraid of that are overwhelming us. The week before, I talked to you about uh, excuses that we make because there's a lot of times the excuses we make are keeping us from the experience God has for us. And so we're, we're afraid or we're fearful or we make excuses or we're disobedient. And so I kind of challenge you with those two. Today, I want to kind of make a right-hand turn and talk to you about something that's a little bit different but I still think is, is overwhelming. The title of today's message is pretty simple. It's called hashtag. If you don't know what a hashtag is, just, just tap your... Your neighbor on the, the side and just say, hey, what, what's a hashtag? And so, uh, and they'll say, well, how old are you? And you'll say, you, older than you. And, and, and then you'll just tell them kind of what it is. But a hashtag, for those who don't know what it is, is something that we use on social media. If you don't know what social media is, uh, I don't know where you live right now, but for most of us, we, we are highly involved in social media, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. For those of you who are not involved in social media, uh, I don't know how you did it, but I'm proud of you for staying away from it because it just kind of sucks you in and so so we live in a world today where we we kind of we like we share we comment we we dislike we we defriend somebody when they get on earth we can hide them if we get sick of what they're they're posting Uh, we kind of share everything about ourselves and what we'll do typically is we'll share a picture or a comment and then at the end of it we'll put a hashtag which which just so you know they've kind of uh, kidnapped the the number sign it used to be called a number sign now it's called the hashtag sign, and so for my kid generation, it will be the hashtag sign, but at at one point, it was the number sign, and you put a number sign, and then after you put a statement, like for some, for some, sometimes you'll see on our screens, we'll put overwhelmed, and so if you are on social media, if I say something you like, or if I say something you don't like, don't hashtag overwhelmed. but if I say something you like, you'll kind of, Pastor Steve hit it on the head, hashtag overwhelmed, I really enjoyed my experience at Journey Church, hashtag overwhelmed, and what happens is, there kind of forms a database of summaries of kind of what happened at a church on Sunday. And that's kind of, kind of the idea of it. Essentially what it is, is it's a label of, uh, or a summary, of, it's a kind of a label of, of what's going on in your life, or what's happening. So sometimes people will put stuff like, uh, like I just went to, to New York City and fed fed a homeless person, hashtag humblebrag, right? Like, I just want you to know that I'm humblebragging, or, or here's my baby, look how cute they are, hashtag cuter than yours, right? Or stuff like that, like, we kind of just, are you ever, there's like the, 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 the machine gun hashtag where they say something like, hey, I'm at church, hashtag I, hashtag am, hashtag at, hashtag church, right? Like, and so there's, like, hashtag is just kind of involved in everything, and it's just kind of one area of kind of a whole other epidemic where we're just heavily involved in each other's lives. Like, we're, we're heavily involved in knowing what's going on. We're heavily involved in sharing our feelings. We're heavily involved. If we're having a bad day, we'll kind of just say, like, I wish I was dead, ugh, and then hashtag, I wish I was dead, hashtag, please, somebody ask me now, hashtag, hello, hashtag, I said I'm going to kill myself, hashtag, never mind, right? Like, you're probably going to get sick of me saying hashtag today. So we'll share our feelings. If we're having an emotional problem with our spouse, we'll kind of share that. If we think we look good, we'll take pictures of ourselves. That's like some some older people are saying, what's wrong with this, this generation? Like we have problems. Like just so you know, the average smartphone user checks their phone 150 times a day. Now we sleep. Now I sleep. I don't know about you. So there's 24 hours in a day, so let's just say you take away a third of that, which ideally is what I enjoy sleeping, so there's 16 hours left. That's about 13, 12, 13, 14 times an hour. We're at work, we're we're checking checking social media, we're at home, we're checking social media with our kids, we're checking social media, we're out to eat, we're checking social media. Next time you go out to eat, just look around at everybody's table. Literally, there is, everybody is typically either on their phone or has their phone beside them so that they, at some point they can scroll their feed to see what they've missed over the last 15 minutes so that they can make sure they're up to date on what everybody else is doing all over the globe. I mean, it's overwhelming. You're with your kids, but you're not really with your kids because you're checking what everybody else has done. And even when you're with your kids, you're taking pictures of your kids to share it with everybody else to let them know what you and your kids are doing. In a time when you should be having a lot of memories, you're actually taking pictures, trying to get comments and likes and shares on the memories you're making. Like, we, we, we live in an overwhelming society when it comes to this. Here's some more statistics that I thought were very interesting about, about social media. Well, I think it's something you should probably speak on in church. 49% of us have smartphones right now. By 2017, 70% of the population is going to have a smartphone. I've read this all 80% of people, the first thing they do every morning is check their smartphone. Like, you wake up, your alarm goes off, after you hit it 20 times, you wake up and you're like, let me see what somebody was doing last night at 2 o'clock in the morning. 80% of us, first thing we do before we talk to Jesus, before we talk to our wives, before we talk to our kids, we want to go address the iPhone. 30% say that they talk on their phone when they're at a meal with somebody else. 40% say they use it while they're on the toilet. I mean, I'm shocked that not everybody does that. Can I get an amen there? What are you supposed to do when you're going? Everybody just said, don't touch me with your phone, bro. That's. 25% said that they check it when they're driving. I mean, I just thought that's what, what what do you do when you're out of light? You get out the light, take your phone out, you start scrolling, the light turns green, you get the horn beeped at you, you put it down. What are you beeping at? I'm looking at Facebook. What am I supposed to do for this 30 seconds? I'm sitting here. I mean, the, 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 the statistics are, are staggering. 9% of people said they checked their phones at church. The other 91% were lying. Some older people are saying, you guys are jacked up. The truth is, you're right. We have an addiction to, to social media, but the only, the only difference is, I think that it would have happened in your generation as well. You just didn't have that, that physical way to do that. In fact, I found this picture of Paul McCartney from the 60s, taking the first, he he now claims that he started the selfie movement. He probably should have retaken that a couple times. That's the first fish face right there. So it's not that it wouldn't have happened, it's that you couldn't have done it. See, the truth is, you can take that off now, the truth is that it's not necessarily social media that's the problem. It's not. It's the way we kind of feed the problem but that's not the problem the problem is something different it's this need inside of all of us uh, to kind of be affirmed we have this disease i would say it's what i would call the disease of the need for affirmation the the, the disease of the need for confirmation the, the disease for the need of congratulations you get where i'm going we, we have a disease where, where we we need from other people i was talking to to my staff this week and i said what would be a good illustration of kind of what we're, we're going through as a world. And so somebody said that he saw a vine, which is another form of social media, where they talked about how we're all kind of fishing. So naturally, I didn't have any fishing equipment. In fact, I asked Ian to get me some fishing equipment, and this was what he gave me. Uh, I had it in my car, and my one said, so what's that? And I said, it's fishing equipment. That's how you know how unfisherman that I am. I've only been fishing one time in my life. I saw a black snake and I didn't see any fish and I never went back again. <laughs> but I thought, this is a great illustration of what's going on. I don't even know how this works. <laughs> but I've seen, i seen people kind of get the reel loose and then you throw this out and you put some bait on it, maybe a live worm, which is another reason I don't do fishing because I don't want to touch a live worm. And you throw the bait out. And you try to land it in the water somewhere right far of you and then you kind of bait this this big catch and you pull it in and you essentially catch this big fish and usually it's this but it's this big when you're telling it i caught a fish that was this big and i thought to myself what a great illustration of what we're doing because we need affirmation and because we need confirmation and because we need to get congratulations and because we need all sorts of other things and we don't know where to go through social media has become our outlet for us to kind of fish we throw it out there and we hope somebody grabs the bait and gives us what we're looking for so let me give you some examples some of us we feel really bad about our bodies and so we start to exercise and we start to get in shape which is all an adm- admirable thing like i'm going to get in shape i'm going to take care of my body and it's- Instead of that being okay, what we then do is we start to take half-naked pictures of ourselves, and we throw it out there, hoping somebody will give us the words of affirmation that we look for. Wow, you look good. Wow, you're beautiful. M- maybe we need, to, we need to, the words of uh, uh, the affirmation of success, and so we, we have a baby that we think is cute. We have... We have a house that we think is nice we get a job we go somewhere where where we think a lot of other people will enjoy going and so we take the picture and we throw it out on the on the social media outlet and then we scroll and we see this person liked it this person they didn't even comment they're not my best friend anymore because they didn't comment on my picture how can they not comment on picture you call your best friend up you said i threw you i threw you a a worm and they're like yeah i was I, i actually my kid was in the er i don't care We're BFS. You look at my stuff and you comment on it. Why? Because I'm fishing and I need some affirmation. Or it'll be stuff like, like, hey, I I need some affirmation that that it's going to be okay. I'll throw out, ugh, I'm having a really bad day. Like the vague tweet. You know what I'm saying? You're like, what does that mean? Ugh, that's it. So everybody else then has to go, well, what's wrong with you? What's bothering you? Blah, 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 blah. I need the affirmation that somebody is thinking about me. Please, somebody tell me you're thinking about me. My life is really important. But the truth is it's because we need affirmation. We need confirmation that somebody else is thinking about us. And so we're constantly fishing. And I thought to myself, how am I going to relate social media and fishing to the Bible? And then I thought, oh, there's a story in the Bible about Jesus calling his first disciples and they just happen to be fishermen. Sometimes, sometimes God just puts it on the tee, and you just gotta tap it, <laughs> tap it off. So, everybody, you we're gonna turn to the book of Luke, chapter five, and I want to take you into this story. I think this story is 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 gonna relate. Sometimes when you read something, it not, doesn't make sense, and then you just gotta go, you gotta just dig down a little deeper, and then it starts to make sense. So Jesus is kind of he's thirty at this point. We know he's thirty. We know he spent three years of, of his earthly life kind of building this, this ministry and getting ready right to down on the cross. So he's 30. And the Bible says he begins to kind of go around and he does what every rabbi of that time does. He begins to assemble disciples. It was kind of the cultural thing. So he shows up at, at this, this lake. The Bible says in, in Luke chapter five, verse number one, it says, one day as Jesus was standing by, by the lake of Gethsemane, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Isn't that amazing? Every time Jesus is around, people are always crowding around him. He saw the waters edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. I want you to remember that, washing their nets, because this is pretty funny in a second. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. If you know your Bible, you know that's Peter. He eventually becomes Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now you remember? They didn't catch anything, but they're washing their nets. I don't get that. And so, anyway, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. That is crazy. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch that they had of fish that they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were also going to be disciples. Then Jesus said to Peter, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. See, my, my key thought for you today is it's going to be impossible for you, because the Bible says that Jesus has a plan for you. I think it's greater than any plan that you could ever have. I think there's more purpose and meaning when you find Jesus and understand his plan. But it's going to be impossible for you to fish for for men. In other words, be used by Christ when you have to fish for compliments. It's, It's impossible to do what Jesus wants you to do when you're so insecure that for you to get through life you need the words of other insecure people see the problem is not social media the problem is is in the in the real deep problem that it's bringing out in our lives so some of you say how does how this relate you're going to kind of make this work i want to show you kind of what's going on here if you dig deep and because we have google and things like that we can kind of read the history of the situation Now we know that these guys were fishermen, but what else do we know is that this would not have been their parents' number one choice for their life. Like nobody has a baby in that time and goes, you know what, I think you were created to be a fisherman. It was a stinky, dangerous, low class job. It was the fallback plan. So if you had a kid and they were dumb, in essence, They would become a fisherman like you, but if they were smart, if they had a brain, if they had knowledge, they had wisdom, then there was other things they could do, more important things. So we know at a young age, at some point, Peter had been classified as dumb. We know that because he's fishing. He'd been classified as normal. He'd been classified as average. So if you dig a little bit deeper, you can kind of find out kind of what happened in his life. See, just like us, Jewish kids started their, their, their schooling at the age of five. In fact, they had three different levels of schooling. The first one was called Bet Sefer, and I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but that's how I'm going to say it today. And at the age of five or six, all Jewish kids would go off to school. They wouldn't go to a school building. They would go to the synagogue. I want you to imagine with me a little five or six-year-old going to the synagogue and sitting under the most esteemed man in the village. It was quite the honor. One of the very first lessons that this rabbi, this esteemed man, would teach these five and six-year-olds is he would take a dab of honey and he would place it on their lips, teaching them the psalm that the word of God is like honey to your very essence, to your lips, to your soul. Every day before he would teach, he would put a dab of honey on their tongue and he was teaching them and instilling them how important the word of God is. And from the age of five to 12, they would sit under this rabbi and they would learn the first five books of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible. But there's some stuff in there that I don't know if I can memorize one page of. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Leviticus is hard enough just to read. At the eight, by the age of 12, good Jewish boys would have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then they would have what we know as a bar mitzvah. To celebrate them being adult. And it would be at that moment that there would be a crossroads. Many of them, they would kind of go back home and, and the, 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 the definition of identity, identity would be, you're just normal. You did a good job memorizing the first five books of the Bible, but that's all there is for you. Go home and become a fisherman. Most theologians believe none of Jesus' disciples got past this level of education. That should be encouraging. It's encouraging to me looking at my GPA. People have asked me, are you going to go back and get your masters? I say, I can't. And they say, why, are you too busy? I said, no, they won't let me in. (laughs) You think I'm playing? I'm not. At the age of 12, most of them would go home. A few of them, the rabbi would look at them and say, you're good enough. So you can see how these identity problems are starting to come. And so from the age of 12 to 15, the best of the best would sit under the rabbi, and they would learn the remainder of the Old Testament all the other books, when they turned 15, the best of the best of the best, the rabbi would look at them and they would say, you're good enough to follow me. The rest of you go home and be normal. The best of the best of the best would hear the words, follow me. And this is what they were saying is you can do what I do. You can be what I am. You can eat what I eat. You can you can talk like I talk. You can follow in my footsteps. You can carry the yoke that I want to place on you. You can carry the burden. Do you see all the wording Jesus says in the Bible when he says, come follow me to Peter? Like, this is crazy that he would say, follow me to Peter, because he had heard, you can't follow me at some point. When he says that my yoke is easy, my burden is like, it was all wording of rabbi, as rabbi would, rabbis would place impossible burdens on, on kids and basically kill them under the pressure to send them back to make them normal. The best of the best of the best would get to identify themselves as one day being a rabbi to have their own disciples but all these guys were just normal they're fishing in fact they're fishing they're not catching anything i mean can you imagine peter's already heard you're not good enough and then another rabbi shows up and he's like yo bro let me use your boat he already feels bad about himself, himself. He already kind of is confused about his identity. And now he's washing a net that he ain't even caught nothing in. He's just washing it, acting like he caught something. And here comes Jesus. And he teaches, and then he has this conversation. And it's in this conversation that I think it's going to be so life-changing for some of you in this place. The first thing that he says to, to Peter that I think is, is so important. He says, you've got to put out into deep water... And you gotta let down your nets for the catch. In other words, if you're gonna go fishing with Jesus, if he's gonna change your life, the first thing is this, is you gotta stop fishing in the wrong spot. You gotta stop looking in the wrong spot. You see, I think what social media has taught us is we are people that need affirmation, but we have no idea where to go. I read articles article that said, the more that you look at Facebook, the more unhappy you become. I don't know if you've ever been there. You're like in your sweatpants. This is Saturday. So you do what people on Saturdays do. Normal Americans, you're at home in your sweatpants. You haven't brushed your teeth. It's four o'clock. All three of your little boys have not taken a shower they are in their sweatpants. And you're kind of sitting there and you're watching a Christmas movie. And, and your house is, looks like a tornado because your kids have been everywhere and you've finally given up until they go to bed. And you get on Facebook and one of your friends is in New York at Times Square with the president of the United States pointing at him. <laughs> or, or they're out at the, at, the, at, at, at the Franklin Institute or the police Museum or something like that and, and they're kind of with their kids and you're like, I'm the worst parent ever. I'm doing nothing. Or you're at home and you're just kind of with your wife and you're just hanging out and your marriage is kind of stable and then you get on and you see that your best friends or your neighbors or your family, they're in Cancun for the 16th time this year. You start angry scrolling, right? I'm gonna hide you. I'm gonna, fa- and all of a sudden, your day is ruined. You're miserable. You're angry. Your life stinks. You're a loser. You're all these things because you just looked at social media. Because we invest a lot of what we're worth value in value and what people are saying about us. We're fishing. We need affirmation. We need confirmation. We need somebody to congratulate us. We need all of these things. And Jesus comes to Peter, and he says, look, I know, I get it. I know where you're at. I know what you've heard about yourself. I know what your identity is. You're a fisherman, and you ain't even catching no fish, bro. I know a rabbi told you when you were 12 years old, you're not good enough. Go home and be a fisherman. I get all that, but we got to go out and fish in deeper waters. See, I would describe our life like like this to you. I don't know if you've ever been to the the public pool. I went to the Boyertown public pool when I was a kid. There was, a, there was a, a normal end, and then there was a deep end. And, and, and sometimes you watch movies, and they have the high dive. There was a high dive like that. They took the high dive out because the kids today are too, too much of, of sissies. But there was a high dive. Uh, you remember when we were kids, there was like a high dive, and you went out there, and it was like, I'm about to jump into Niagara Falls, and then you, you got stuck up there maybe one time, and then the lifeguard that girl had to come get you. I'm just saying that might have happened and take you down. And so, so I tend to stay in the, in the, in the normal and the shallow end. Every once in a while... Before I got wise, I would get out of the pool, and I would go up the hill at the Bordertown pool, and they had this little, this baby pool there. And somebody asked me one time, I was seven, eight, nine years old, they're like, why do you like that baby pool? And I was like, because it's so warm. <laughs> the sun hits it, it's like foot, two foot and a half deep, I sit there, the sun hits it, and it's all this stuff, and they said, they said, that's not, that's not the sun, that's pee-pee. You remember that conversation, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you never go back in the the kiddie pool again. And I think maybe you need to understand that about your life right now. You're throwing out into the shallow waters, and you're kind of getting the compliments, and you're getting the likes, and you're having to kind of sacrifice and flaunt yourself and do all these things. You're on Facebook, you're getting more overwhelmed. And Jesus is saying to you, you're you're throwing out your rod in the the pee-pee water. You're you're throwing out your rod. It, It feels warm for a second. But you don't understand what you're sacrificing right now you're sacrificing health like i don't care how much chlorine you put in the pool that's still pee. and so anyway i'm just saying like get that image you're throwing out and you're playing in the shallow water and i get it because we were created to need somebody's words over our life that's why Powerful words that have been spoken in your life have impacted you in such a profound way. That's why somebody in, 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 a, in one of your friends right now can tell you, you're doing a great job, and you start crying. That's why you can sit in a staff meeting with a lady from Texas who's taking you through staff m- meeting stuff, and you're all talking and with the grown, a, a group of grown men, and she can say, say nice things to each other, and you say nice things to each other, and everybody's crying by the end of it. Like, that's why, because we need words. The problem is, is when you base your your life off the words of other people, you are defining yourself by people who have a hard time defining themselves. So you're having a broken person trying to complete another broken person, and one broken person with another broken person doesn't make one whole person. That makes a freak. See, you need the words. But you have to go deeper. I get it. You ever read that book, Are You My Mom, by Dr. Seuss? Deep theology right there. Are you my mom? Are you my mom? Is this tractor my mom? You laugh, but I think we do that. Would you affirm me, please? Would you affirm me? Would you tell me I'm pretty? Would you tell me I'm this? I need your words. Would you tell me I'm successful? Would you tell me that I'm valuable? Would somebody tell me and the whole time God's going, I- I'll tell you. If you come out into the deeper waters, in the book of Hebrews, it says that he is an anchor to our soul, which means when the word of God comes in your life, it goes all the way down into the very depths of who you are, and it's implanted. And listen, when there's an anchor there, no matter what comes your way, no matter what waves are crashing, no matter who's leaving you, no matter who's criticizing you, no matter who's talking bad about you, he's an anchor for your soul. Some of you give yourself too much power to other people, and it's destroying you. Here's how you know you're having a struggle with that. Here's some things that people pleasers do, because I think the fastest way for you to be overwhelmed with who you are, your identity, is to be consumed with what other individuals are saying about you. Here's how you know you're doing that. You're obsessed about what others think. Throw something out. Put a family picture out. Put a picture of your kid out. Put a picture of your anniversary out. Put a picture of your your drink out put a picture of your face out put a picture of your lips out put a picture of whatever else you're going to regret putting a picture of out later and then you get on your phone and literally 150 times later that day what'd she say about me she said what you put it away a couple minutes later take it back out you got a little kid running around who you've taken a picture of so you can show everybody, but you can't even talk to that little kid because you're so worried about the comments that people are making about that little kid. You are obsessed with what other people say about you. There's another thing I think that you are often overly sensitive. You compromise your values. I wonder how many people in this church at the altar of not knowing who they are are compromising their values. How many pictures we put up that later on we're going to go, Why did I... How many angry comments that I put up that I'm going to later on go, why did I even put that? Like, what was I even thinking? I wonder why more Christians that are really Christians that are sold out for Christ are not given the public platform that God has given to them to glorify him instead of themselves. I wonder why more of what I see on Facebook from our church, I can only talk about our church, is not about what Jesus is doing in our life, it's about what you're doing with your life. I think it's because... I think it's because many of you haven't arrived at the understanding that his words are an anchor to your soul. And Jesus was clear. you got to go out into deeper waters. The next thing that happens that I think is is true is is you got to stop defining your technique today. Simon answered him, watch this. Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. In other words, he's ticked off at Jesus right now. Like, Simon is the only person in the Bible who consistently got angry at Jesus, and the weird thing is, he abandoned Jesus, he turned his back on Jesus, and then Jesus still used him to preach one of the most powerful messages this world has ever known, and 3,000 people get saved. We don't deserve the love of Christ. He gets mad at Jesus from the moment he meets him, and he goes, Master, I have worked hard all night long. In other words, I'm going to defend my technique you're a rabbi you stay in the church I'm a fisherman this is all I've been able to do I know I haven't caught any fish and I know I'm not I don't have that big catch but I've worked hard all night long Jesus leave me alone see my biggest fear today is some of you are going to let this go right over your head it always happens in church people are just be like he's really talking to someone today it ain't me though And you're gonna walk out of here, and you're gonna get in your thing, and you're gonna say it's it's cold, and you're gonna show your face on Instagram because it was cold, and your lips are a little bit blue, and you're gonna show everybody what you're doing. I know the pastor said don't do this, but but I need people to know it's cold, and maybe think I look good. I'm just saying. I mean, it never stops. We'll defend our technique. I'm just trying to encourage people. Look, I know I'm taking pictures. I shouldn't be taking pictures of myself. I know I'm showing stuff in the mirror. I shouldn't be showing. I know I'm taking pictures of my body that I shouldn't be showing. But I just need to encourage people. I need to. I've lost 26.16 pounds. That's a pound, just so you know. It's 27 pounds. <laughs> and I need to encourage people. My question is always like, well, why don't you send them a private message? Why don't you send them a Bible verse? That says that exercise is productive, but what's even more productive is being close to Jesus. You see, at some point, you got to stop defending your technique. At some point, you got to come to Jesus and say, you know what? I am being like this. I do value other people's words too much. I do feel insecure. I do need affirmation from other people. I do look to other people instead of you. I am cheapening your words. Like your words that say I'm a brand new creation. Your words that say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your words that say that you have a purpose and a plan for me. I know the plans, plans to prosper and not harm. All those words, I know they're powerful, but I'm going to cheapen them because I need other people's words as well. And he defends his technique. I know I haven't caught anything. Some of you going to say that. I know I don't feel good about myself, and I know I kind of always need confirmation, affirmation, congratulations, but Jesus, you don't understand how tough my life is. And he's saying, really, I went to the cross for you. I died in your place. The death that I died should have been the death you should have died. I rose from the dead so you didn't have to struggle with this crap you're struggling with. And you're going to cheapen my love, my mercy, and my grace telling me that you have to do and I don't understand it. Jesus understands everything. If there was ever a dude that needed affirmation, it was Jesus, just so you know. He's in the garden the night that he's going to be portrayed. And all of his friends are leaving him. I mean, if there's ever a time to take out your smartphone and check your followers, it's that. And the Bible says instead of looking to his disciples to affirm him and confirm him and, and congratulate him, he goes to the Father. And he says, Father, whatever your will is, I know you're with me. So you've got to stop defending your te- technique. And number three is you've got to start listening to the right voice. See what he says right here? I think this is so crucial for his life. Like the rest of his life is different because of this statement. The rest of his life. I think he could have got angry at Jesus. He could have said, you know what, I don't have any more time for a rabbi because I've already had time for a rabbi until I was 12, and they told me I wasn't good enough. I don't want none of this. And at first he starts to defend his technique. I've already done it. I'm already there. You ever cut Jesus off in your head? Some of you doing it right now. Pastor, don't know. He don't know I'm lonely. He doesn't know what I'm going through he doesn't know my past he doesn't understand it and you're probably right you're probably right I don't fully understand who you are what you're going through where you're at but I can tell you that Jesus does I don't talk up here through the authority of me I don't talk up here because I'm talented I'm smart I barely made it through college I talk under the authority of Jesus he's so good to me and I know how good he wants to be to you and so in this moment I think Peter has to make a decision and the words are pretty clear he says but because you say so he's talking to Jesus I'm gonna let down my nets I get it I know what I've been told I don't know why you're here I know I don't feel good about myself right now but because you told me I'm gonna let down my nets and the Bible says that he throws his nets over and just like that he gets a haul and that he could have never gotten before he pulls so much fish and he has to call the sons of thunder James and John yo guys get your boats over here we got fish to get in they put these fish in their boat and the boats begin to sink under the pressure of the catch as i was thinking about this i I thought who really caught who right here did peter the fisherman catch the fish or the fish catching peter and his boat begins to sink And he's freaking out, I think. And he's going, who is this God, Jesus? And immediately, because when you're in the presence of Jesus, you automatically recognize you don't deserve Jesus. Like, if you have a hard time worshiping Jesus and getting in the presence of Jesus, it's probably because you think you deserve him. You know you're broken. You know you're just a fisherman. You know you need all these things that you can never find. And all of a sudden, he catches these fish. And the weight of this catch is sinking his ship. And he goes and he begins to say, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says this to him. He says, listen. I know what you've been told. I know how you've been defined. I know where you thought you were going to find success, but we're not fishing for fish anymore. From now on, you're going to come with me. We're going to change this world. We're going to fish for men. In other words, until you stop looking for affirmation and confirmation that you're good enough and getting congratulations and whatever other Asians that you need, you can't come fishing with me. But if you figure out that I love you, often we'll say this to people in church, and I think it's a mistake and it's only a half true. I'll say, today you need to follow Jesus. Today you need to accept Jesus. Today you need to be part of Him. And the truth is, it's half true. You need to follow Jesus, but today you're already accepted. You're already accepted. He died for you 2,000 years ago for your past, your present, and your future. Your job is to reach your arms out just like a little toddler does. But the truth is that when my toddler reaches out to me, most of the time it's because I'm already reaching out to him. And your job is just to run to the loving arms of a father. And the rest of Peter's life is changed. The rest of his existence, the rest of his eternity is changed because he no longer needs to be successful in the world's eyes. He no longer needs to be affirmed. He's not hearing from his past who he was. But he's being guided into his future by who he is in Christ. There's a new life for you today. You don't need the words of other people. You need the words of God. The words of God will be anchored to your very soul. So no matter what comes your way, no matter who abandons you no matter who speaks down on you if it contradicts the word of God it's not true because his word his spirit his soul his hope his love his grace is an anchor to your soul and when that happens you can stop fishing for compliments and fishing for worth and you can go with Jesus on the greatest ride of your life where you can begin to fish for people to be used by him in an immeasurably more way than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. Would you stand with me all over this house at our Plymouth meeting campus and in Limerick? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? I think there's probably a lot of people in this room at both of our other locations watching online. If you're, if you're watching online, would you just close your eyes right where you're at with me? If you're in your house with a sick kid. We're praying he gets well or she gets well quick, but would you just stop what you're doing right now would you just close your eyes and would you allow the Holy Spirit to just begin to speak? If you're in this place listening to my voice as Pastor John and Pastor Jordan are standing up at our other locations, would you just begin to pray and open up your, your very essence of who you are, your spirit to Jesus? Just pray, would you give me eyes, Jesus, for maybe what I can't see? Maybe I've been blinded by, by this world. Maybe I've followed things that, are, that I thought were true. But God, I'm beginning to realize that, that, that maybe this world's broken. Sometimes I'm amazed that people don't come up to that conclusion sooner. We have all this science, all this knowledge, all this technology. And I think we're the most drugged up generation this world has ever known. We have more pain, more sorrow, even though we're smarter than we've ever been. And the truth is, because what you're looking for and what you need is not found in any answer that this world can give you, it's found in Jesus. He can be your hope, He can be a love that you've never had, He can be the forgiveness when He died on the cross for your sins. He was dying so that the forgiveness of your sins could be whole past, present, and future, not only that, his forgiveness was going to give you the power to forgive those that have hurt you so you won't be defined by what they've said, done to you. It's Jesus. For some of you, you've been casting that line out and you've been in shallow waters. I'm going to find completeness in a relationship. I'm going to find completeness completeness in a job. I'm going to find it in in, in having a kid. I'm going to find it in in whatever avenue I can find it. And you realize quickly, you're always searching, never finding. And the truth is, it's because what you're looking for, that fullness, that joy, that peace, that surpasses understanding, that hope, that purpose. Some of you never have known what that feels like to get up on Monday morning and have purpose and meaning, to know why you exist, to know why you're still breathing, to live life for eternity. It's found in Jesus and the truth is, is that he loves you so much. More than you even love yourself. He's thought about your life more than you could ever think about your life. While you were still a sinner, the Bible says that Christ died for you. And he was thinking about you. There's a verse in the Bible that says that he chose you, you didn't choose him. And he brought you in this moment, or November 16, 2014. He worked it out through an invitation. He worked it out through maybe you just getting in your car and being guided and directed by the Spirit, and you showed up into one of these rooms not really knowing what to expect. And He worked it out, young or old, so that you would be standing here in this moment, so that you would be able to be in His presence because two or more are gathered here, and so He's here, so that His Word, that brings life and hope and a future and never returns void, could be proclaimed. And so that you could experience Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's why the church exis- exists. The church is not a good group of people that get together in some clean building. The church is a group of saved people, and I am no different than any person that's listening to my voice. The only difference is, is some years back while I was 18, I realized I needed Jesus. I heard the gospel, and I bent my knee to the king of kings and the lord of lords and now my life is where i thought it would never be full of blessing purpose and hope not easy but full of joy and i know it's all because of jesus and the bible says if you would stop running and you would confess with your mouth and you would believe in your heart that jesus is lord whether you're young or you're old that you'll be saved and he loves you desperately and wants to have a relationship with you not based on you on what you've brought to him but because you're his you're his he created you and he formed you and he made you and he has a purpose and a plan for you and your job is to respond to the gospel jesus died in my place for my sins was put into the tomb and on the third day he rose from the dead I believe that is salvation, I believe that's fit forgiveness of sin, sins, and I believe when I accept Jesus as that, that's, that's my Savior, my Lord, that the same power that lived in him when he rose from the dead is going to live inside of me, and I'm going to have a whole new life, a new heart, a new mind, I'm going to speak differently, I'm going to think differently, my marriage is going to change, my work is going to change, my school is going to change, my attitude is going to change, everything is going to change, I'm going to become a brand new person. If that's you in this place, at a Limerick Plymouth meeting campus, if that's you, just so I know I'm praying with you as we close with nobody looking around if you're a Christian right now you're just praying you're praying with heaven because heaven is stopped right now waiting for sons and daughters to respond to this gospel if that's you in this house you weren't here by accident you didn't get invited here by chance you were here for a purpose for a reason Jesus wants to save you change you set you free you're gonna leave this place a brand new person if that's you Right now at our Plymouth meeting, Limerick campus, just begin to slip your hand up high right here in this place. If that's you with me, would you simply place your hand up high and say, I'm going to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I see you right here, hand right here. I see a hand right here in the front. That's good. I see hands all over. I see a hand back there. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm here for a reason. I see another hand over here. Is there anybody else all over this house at our Limerick campus, Plymouth meeting? Watching online right now, you just begin to pray. Just begin to pray, Jesus, just like you talk to a friend. Jesus, be the Lord of my life would you pray Jesus we love you we thank you right now for what you've done and Lord as nobody moves around in this moment this is a holy moment a special and unique moment heaven is stopping right now the Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes home than over a church full of saved people that come to sing their hearts out to dress in their Sunday best Lord I thank you right now that you're here your presence is here and Lord where your presence is there's hope there's grace there's mercy there's peace and there's a future Lord Lord no matter how broken no matter how hopeless no matter how lost we feel no matter what words have defined our life up to this point no matter what bad decisions that we've made to get us to the point we're at no matter what we're addicted to no matter what we feel overcome from Lord Jesus you are greater you are greater than our past you are greater than our present Lord and you are securing our future Jesus Jesus we believe you died in our place on a cross 2,000 years ago You died for our sins, and the way your life ended should have been the way our life ended. But Jesus, on the third day, you rose from the dead. And it's through your resurrection that we can live a life that we should have never been able to live, that we can have eternity secured so that we know that as we're inviting Jesus to be the Lord of our life, that as we're confessing that we're sinful and lost, and we're making a commitment to follow you, we're going to follow you under the power and authority that you've given us, and the Holy Spirit filling us up, Lord, but we know the rest of our life that you're going to be with us in the next breath after we take our last breath on this earth that there's a hope for eternity that there's a purpose for living that our purpose for the rest of our lives those of us you're saving is to go everywhere and tell everyone about you jesus the god that loves us no matter what we've done no matter where we've been no matter who we've been with lord that we can walk in broken and we can leave this place whole and so i thank you that there's many people that were once lost and right now they feel found. Lord, they were once full of death. And for the very first time, they're going to leave this place and they're going to be alive. Well, they were once blind. Father, in your word says now they can see. They see a bright future. They see a hope of eternity. They, they experience a peace that surpasses all understanding and an unspeakable joy, Lord. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for saving people. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, would you clap for me all over these houses?